be a part of. All right, you can flip your bulletins back over, and we are we're going through a sermon series. If you've never been to church before, we kind of like to, to keep people on, on a track together, if, if, if we could. We don't want to surprise you. We want you to know as, as much as possible uh, what we're going to talk about in the weeks that we're talking about. it. So we've been going through a sermon series. Now you know. If you haven't been here, all it is, is is our hope to make you aware of the things that Satan uses in a believer's life to take them away from the plans of God. We, we've, been, we've been leading off with this statement every week. When you know what to look for... You'll better know how to handle it. When you know what to look for, when you know what you're looking at, you'll better know how to handle it. And here's the thing. I don't want you to come away being afraid of the power of Satan. I just want you to be aware of him. I want you to be, I want you to be able to go, oh yeah, that's just Satan being Satan. So last week, you remember, we talked about fear, right? We're going to do a whole sermon series in December on fear because fear is literally gripping many of your lives. And so we, we began to open it up. I said, listen, fear is simply Satan's ability because he can't touch you physically. So he wants to torture you emotionally. He wants you to get you in the fetal position. You remember, he wants you to focus every thought around lies. He wants to paralyze you, demoralize you, right? So, so what do you do in fear? You do three things, three steps. You process correctly. Is what I'm fearing, is it, is it true of, words, of the word of God? And then you proclaim over it in the middle of it. Instead of worrying, you just sing the praises of God and you pray to God. You fight your spiritual battle with spiritual weapons and then you proceed confidently and you just keep repeating those steps as you walk through fear. Fear is going to consistently come after uh, your life. Today I want to talk to you about something that I am deeply passionate about. Like, like this, this, is, this is the message that I've been looking forward to preaching. And so we're going to we're going to talk today about compromise. We're going to call today's message uh, a compromise. Well, how does Satan take many people away? He gets them to compromise. He gets them to do things that, that they, they wouldn't normally do. He gets them to do things that don't seem like a big deal in the moment, yet end up destroying their life. Nobody ever sets out to destroy their life. Are you with me? Nobody is on the, at the altar, marrying the love of their life, saying, you know what? In four years, I'm going to have an affair on them. In a few years, I'm going to get addicted to pain medication. In a few years, I'm going to cheat on my taxes. In a few years, I'm going to do blank. We don't typically set out to ruin our lives, yet I've seen many people through steps of compromise completely destroy their lives. And so we're going to jump right into today's, today's message, Bible verse, in the book of Revelation chapter 2. If you've been with us for the, fa- the past few weeks, you realize we're kind of going on a journey. We started Ephesus. That was, that's a beach city. And then we moved 50 miles north uh, to, 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 the, to the, the, the next city. Uh, last week, I forget the name of it, and so I'm not going to sit here and try to stutter my way through it. You just have to watch the message on fear. Uh, and, so, and then we're ending up 70 miles north of, of that city in a city called Pergamum, right? And Pergamum, this is how you, this is how you can remember Pergamum. If Ephesus were, were in America, we would, we would think about Ephesus like New York City. Like it was, it was the hap, most happening city in, in Asia at that point. It, was, it had all sorts of fun stuff to do. If, if, if that was New York City, then Pergamum would be Washington, D.C. Like it was a place where, where, where culture and, and, and politics and, and worship of, of gods, foreign gods, was kind of all intermingled. It was a really hard place uh, to walk a, a black and white line. There was a lot of great issues going on. Sounds very similar to today's world. Like there's, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of things that, that, that the church was facing that they weren't walking through in a black and white manner. Now that's wrong and, and that's right. This is, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And this is what followers of Christ don't do. And, and by the way, it's what I've seen in our own culture. There, there's a lot of things that happen in, in culture, especially in the church, that simply if you read the Bible, you'd be like, well, that's, it says it's not right. Like it says it's 100% of the time uh, 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 wrong, yet we're still arguing the, the fact that, that it could be right. In fact, many people in the church, the Bible says that a corrupt generation will, will, will agree with wrong as if it's right. We'll actually applaud things 
that are wrong, which, which wouldn't you say we're struggling with that as a church? We applaud things. We're excited when people have courage to do things that the Bible says that these are, this isn't the way for, that God wants you to live. And so this is the type of church that, that he's writing to. And this is what he says in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses, so stick with me. It says, to the angel in the church of Pergamum, right? These are the words who has, of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Once again, Jesus is just describing himself. I, I know where you live, where Satan has his home, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lived. So Antipas was a member of the early church. Uh, we're not exactly sure what he was doing. There's, there's some history on him. He was some form of medical doctor, and he was actually giving people charity in his, in his profession. He was, he wasn't, he, he was giving his, 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 his advice and his expertise away. And because of that, uh, the city, uh, the people that weren't of God, they began to persecute him, and they actually killed him. They actually destroyed him. And so in the middle of, of him trying to be a follower of Christ, trying to be a charitable person, trying to be giving, they get killed. And the Bible says that this church, they stuck it out. Even in the middle of that, where they could have ran, they, they stuck it out. But then it says in verse 14, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual idolatry. Likewise, you also have those who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And so this is a really hard thing for you to understand if you don't know any, any part of the Bible. And so what I often do in the Bible is I just go back and find where, where's Balak and Balaam at. And so if you go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years into the Israelites' history, just without getting a lot, a lot into it, uh, there was an evil king that the Israelites were moving towards the promised land, if you know the story in the book of Exodus. And they, 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 as they're going, armies are coming against the Israelites, but they, they're destroying everybody. They, they can't be stopped. Why? Because God is with them. That, that's a great Bible verse. If God is for you, no one can be against you. So they get to the, the, the land of the Moabites, and, and the king Balak, he's like, I got to curse these people. So he calls Balaam, which is a seer, a prophet, and he says, I need you to get a word from God, and I need you to curse their efforts. And so Balaam goes to God a bunch of times, and the Bible says that God tells him, I'm not going to curse these people. I'm for them. And so finally, Balaam comes back because he's being offered money. He's being offered money. If you can give a bad word, a curse, we'll give you all this money. And he's saying, I can't. And so finally, Balaam comes up with a plan because he wants the money. He says, listen, I can't curse them, but you can distract them. I, I can't curse them, but you can get them to compromise. How can we get them to compromise? Send some women their way and get them to worship and eat uh, food that's been sacrificed to idols. And so the Bible says in the middle of the wilderness, as the Israelites are going towards the promised land, that the Moabite king, he doesn't attack them. He just sends them some women. He just sends them. We're going to talk about this next week. I, I got a relationship. How does Satan attack you in your spiritual walk? He gives you a relationship. And finally, the Israelites, they compromise. They, 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 they do things they wouldn't normally do. And, and in that situation, they actually curse themselves. You see, the truth is, is God is not a, a God that will curse you. He's not a God that will leave you. And he is not a God that sends painful situations your way. Oftentimes, it's you stepping outside of the promises of God that are bringing yourself to the problems that you have. And so I want to very specifically talk to you about how this happens, how compromise happens in people's lives. And let me tell you why I'm so passionate about this message, if I, if I may. Because I've seen so many people be destroyed by this. Over the last 11 years, I've seen, over the last couple months, just a couple months, in our church, we have four different campuses. I know of three men that have walked away from their wives and their family in the, in the last, last couple months. Three. I, I know of a bunch of people that have left their walk with Christ to pursue a relationship that wasn't godly. I know of people that, that have been at this church over the last few years that have went back to, to, to drugs one time and overdosed and died. I, I know it. And so 
I don't preach this message from, from a place where I want it to be eloquent to you at all. I don't, I don't care what it sounds like. I'm not worried about the eloquence of my words. If you haven't figured it out yet, I'm not that good at English. I can barely speak it. I want you to feel the pain that I have. I want your eyes to be open. I want Satan to stop being able to have this spot in your life where he can get you to compromise, where he can take you places you would have never dreamed going. I want you to understand exactly how it happens, and I want you to understand through this Bible verse that I I read a few years ago that completely, it, it just shook me to the core. This is for believers, this message today. If you're far from Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, the Bible says that he's drawing you back to himself. But as soon as he draws you back to himself, faithful believer, you need to understand, Satan is going to do everything in his power to entice you away. And he doesn't come at you with a red pitchfork and an outfit and scare you. I don't know if you ever learned learned, learned, learned the the, the lesson or the, the illustration on how to boil a frog. If you put a frog in boiling water, what's the frog going to do? Ah, jump out. So what do you do? How do you boil a frog? I'm not suggesting you do this. It's inhumane. But if you would like to have frog soup, if you're from Louisiana, something like that, how do you boil a frog? You put the frog in lukewarm water. And you just gradually turn the water up. And as you're gradually turning the water up, the water begins to boil. But the, the frog, he's comfortable. He's got his little arms laid back. And he's oh, enjoying this until finally he's being boiled alive. He doesn't even know it. It costs him his life, but how do you start? It starts just gradually. And I want to see you, I want to show you what happens. This, this verse right here has rocked me to the core. I never read this growing up, but I, I want this to put a little bit of, of holy fear in you. I, I want you to wake up. Some of you are, are walking the line where you're about, listen, here's the problem with compromise. It doesn't initially feel bad. It doesn't. Sometimes, even when you compromise in the situation, you feel even happier. Why? Happiness is not holiness, and happiness is not in the Bible. God is not in the business of wanting you to be happy. He's wanting you to have joy. Happiness is fleeting. And this is what Scripture says in Hebrews 6, and I want you to wake up all the campuses. I want you to see this, uh, because if it's on my watch, I'm not losing one more person. But I refuse to have your blood on my hand stand back and go, it's not that big of a deal. It just takes one step. It takes one step. Hebrews chapter 6 says, it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened. That's all of us in this room that have a relationship with Jesus. All of us. I want you to read these words. It's impossible. This shook me. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of this coming age, and who have compromised by falling away to be brought back to repentance. What? It is impossible for those of us who have tasted the goodness of God, who have ate at the tree of the knowledge, who who received the grace of God, and then are enticed to walk away. The Bible says that our hearts become so hardened that it is almost impossible for us. Is it because God's grace is not good enough? No. It's because once you taste that grace and you walk away, the Bible calls it the unforgivable sin. What is it? So when you turn your back, you blaspheme the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The whole time you're walking away, he's going, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm the exception to the rule. Don't worry about me. Don't date that person. They're not a believer. No, 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 no. You don't understand, God. Don't, don't, don't spend your money. No, 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 no. Hey, hey, don't take that pill. No, you don't understand, God. Doesn't this verse shake you to the core? Like once you come and your life is changed and you decide step by step to walk away, The Bible says that it's impossible for you to come back. So here's the thing. 
Satan is not trying to get you to compromise if you're not a follower of Christ right now. He already has you. If you started coming to church and you said, you know what, I'm going to be baptized, and you said, you know what, I'm going to serve, and you know what, I'm going to be involved in church, it's at that moment that Satan begins to whisper in your ear. You don't come with the pitchfork. It's just one small word. In fact, I will say it like this. It's what I would call grooming. This is going to seem a little demented to you, but I want you to understand the, real, the reality of the situation. I know this is going to affect some of you, and this is going to take you back to some bad parts of your life, but I don't know if you've ever studied, and this has affected my life personally uh, in my marriage with my wife, and we've already talked about this and, and, but, in church, but I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever experienced this, and hopefully no, none of you have, but, but I've studied you know, how a pedophile kind of grooms somebody they, they want to hurt. They don't, they don't come after somebody and say, I want to hurt you physically, sexually, and emotionally. They groom them. It starts with befriending a wounded animal. Why? They will always attack where you're weak. And then it starts with maybe a little bit of extra attention that you're not getting at home. And then it starts maybe with a, with a slight hand, hand touch, like you just touch them on the shoulder, or, or a hug, or, or, or a connection, and then, then it moves. They don't ever just move right in and attack. They, they groom you. They groom you. And this is what happens with Satan. He doesn't come and attack you. He doesn't say, hey, just stop following Jesus. You know what he says? It's okay if you miss church every couple weeks. It's not a big deal. We get it. We live in America, and there's sports on Sunday, and it is okay if there's a season in your life where your kid plays sports. It's completely normal. Just one step away. It's okay. Listen, you've been waiting forever for a spouse, and God hasn't brought you one yet. And so it's okay if you date that one that's not a Christian yet. It's perfectly okay. It's going to turn out great says no bible verse and he grooms you and he grooms you and he finds weakness and he brings you away and that's what scripture says i love this passage because it's the bible calls proverbs the book of wisdom i want you to understand the anatomy of 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 compromise i want you to understand how it works today and then i want to show you maybe four areas where, where he's attacking you in where you're letting him get you Here, here's what the bible says in proverbs 14 there's a way that appears to be right there's a step that's easy. When you take it, it doesn't cause you pain. Some of you justify your actions. You're like, well, I did it and nothing bad happened. No crap. Because if it was really bad, if you touch something that's hot right away, even though eventually it's going to burn you and you touch it, you're going to go, ah, that's hot. I'm going back to God. If you take one step out and the lightning bolt doesn't hit you, you take another step out and your plans start to work because some of us justify our actions by the ease of the plan. I'm telling you, it's Satan just pulling you by. There, there's a way that in the beginning it seems right, but watch this. But in the end, it leads to destruction. And in the end, it leads to destruction. I'll say it like this. Here's the problem with, with compromise. Compromise always ends in destruction. It doesn't begin with destruction, though. But here's how it begins. It begins with seduction. Compromise, it ends with destruction. It's not how it begins, though. It begins with, with seduction. Just, just one step. Just, just one, just one uh, wrong move. Just one, one walk away from God. And here's the thing. One step of compromise is all that Satan needs in your life to completely destroy you. One step of compromise is all that Satan needs to completely destroy you. I want to talk to you today about maybe where, where, where the devil's got a hold of you. You don't even see it. 
The devil's taking you somewhere you don't want to go. We, we've said it often. We did a whole sermon series in the book of, or in the month of June. If you weren't here, some of you were at the beach, you didn't see it, you were compromising. And so uh, maybe you missed that whole series. We did a sermon series called Ripple Effect, where we just talked. Here's, here's, here's what it looks like. And here's what we, we wanted you to understand. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go, keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. That's, that's what it does. It will take more from you than you ever wanted to give. It's just one step. And this is what the scripture says about, about Satan. Be careful with them. This is what it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, a really short verse, verse number 27. Hebrews 4, verse number 27, it says, And do not give the devil a foothold. And do not, can you bring that up for me? Do you have that? Give the devil, I want you to see this, a foothold. Real simple. How do you not compromise? How do you not let Satan give a hold of your life? Do not let the devil get a, a, a foothold quite literally means a spot where a climber can get a better grip, a spot where they can dig their feet in and pull that. If you ever want rock climbing, I never have. I don't got the body of a rock climber, and so I'm supposed to. But you pull your, yourself up. It's a spot where you give the devil a chance to grab a hold of you. I, I would say it like this. I am, I'm, I'm more horizontally challenged in, in my, my, body, my body image. Like, if I don't watch what I eat, I just grow wide. Like, and so I like to stand like this up on a stage so I, I don't look big, but if I turn this way, it's like, whoa. And, and what happens in my life is oftentimes if I I don't watch what I eat, my love handles start to get bigger. Anybody else got these problems? My wife will walk up and she'll be like, whoa, right? Like, whoa. And the problem is, the problem is, the longer that I let it go, the harder it is to lose them, right? The longer that I let my love handle, the harder it is for me to shed the weight. The, the longer that, and so what happens is I'm giving her somewhere to grab a hold of. I told her, that's, that's just more room for you to grab, baby. And so, like, you just grab a hold of some of you. Some of you are allowing Satan to do that. You're giving him an area of your life where he can just grab a hold of you. Some of you don't even know it. He's got, better, he's got a better grip on you now than he's had before. And he's just climbing your life spiritually. He's filling your life with lies. He's taking you places maybe you never wanted to go. And you're not even recognizing it yet because sin and a compromise doesn't start with destruction. It ends there. But it starts, it starts with seduction. Just one step is all that Satan needs. So let me give you four that I think a lot of us struggle with that, that maybe we don't even recognize that, that Satan's got a hold of our lives. He's going to take everything from you if you let him. If you're a Christian, you should write down Hebrews 6. Write it down somewhere. It's impossible. He's going to do everything he can to pull you away from the promises of God, from the plans of God, from the purposes of God. Hebrews, it says that, what the Bible says, or here's, here's my four that I want to talk to you about today. Four areas you may be giving Satan a, a foothold. One is this, is excuses, excuses. And I like to say it like this, justification is an open door to a satanic invasion. Justification in your life is an open door. You're leaving the door open for Satan to completely invade your life. How, how do we do that? Let's just talk about it. There's all sorts of stuff that's happening right now, all sorts of parties, all sorts of things that Christians should not be associated with, all sorts of things that you hear at work that you shouldn't be hearing, all sorts of things that you talk about at work that you shouldn't be talking about, all sorts of things that you look at online that you should never be looking at. And what do we generally do? We justify it. What do we say? Everybody else at work talks like this. Everybody. You're in, you're in a group of, of dudes at your work, right? You're, you're a single guy. You're trying to serve the Lord, and they're looking at things they shouldn't be looking at and making sexual jokes about, about women and, and degrading people, and you're listening, and you're laughing, and then you go home, and, and if I would say to you, why are you doing that? Everybody else does it. If I don't participate in that, I'll lose out. 
Like they'll think I'm, think I'm weird, which by the way was what was going on in this church, Pergamum. In that time, there was, there was cultural ideas where, that said, if you are going to be part of this union, if you're going to be part of this group of people, then you need to participate in things that are not godly. And if you don't participate in things that are not ungodly or you don't do these things and you don't, you don't give your life to these things, then you won't move up in the company. In fact, some, sometimes they would even lose their rights, their citizenship in that, in, that, in that town, in that area. So if you don't do these things, it's going to hurt you. And what they were saying is they were going, well... I, wanna, I need to justify my actions to myself. And the reason I need to justify my actions is if I don't talk like this, and if I don't go to that party, and if I don't participate there, it's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt me. And so what do we start doing? We start making excuses. We, we start walking away from God. And here's what you need to understand about, about that kind of lifestyle. And I've used this before. Uh, compromise, it means for you go, to go just a little bit below what you know is right. Just a little bit. Just, just a little step and for you to make excuses. Well, yeah, you know, I cheat on my taxes, but everybody does that. Everybody. Everybody, everybody looks at things like that. Yeah, I watch that show on TV, but everybody watches it. Like, uh, yeah, I see nudity all the time, and it's not my spouse. That's the only, only nudity I should be seeing. But listen, the whole world is like this. And here's the problem with that. If I were to say to you, me and you, Hey, we're going, we're getting, we're going to meet at the airport, but we're going to get on a plane. We're going to go to different, on diff, to different parts of the world. We're going to maybe go get on cruise ship. Or we're going to go to different parts. And I've never been on a cruise ship, but my parents, they've been to a cruise to Alaska and they've been to a cruise to the, to the, the, to the Caribbeans. And I don't know about you, but, but going to a cruise to, to Alaska does not sound like a vacation. Maybe it does for you. I want to go somewhere warm, but they've been to both of them, right? And let's say me and you, I was like, yo, we want a free trip. You're going to go to Alaska. I'm going to go to the Caribbean. I'm going to be really generous. I'm going to send you up there to Alaska. And we showed up. At the, at the airport. We were going to go on the plane and get to the dock, wherever you're going to go. And we opened up our bags, and we had the exact same, same pack, stuff packed, the exact same clothes. What, what, what do you think that was ridiculous? Like, if you were going to Alaska in the middle of the winter, and I'm going to the Caribbean, I, you know, I would have my, like, my, 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 my shorts, my khaki shorts, and my, my swimming suit, and, and, and that's about it, right? Like, a couple, couple, couple Hawaiian shirts, things like that, what, and those sunblocks, stuff like that. If you're going to Alaska, you're going, you're going to have on, like, like some kind of, like, like, skin on, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, fur on you, and, like, all, I saw that Leonardo DiCaprio movie, and, like, all that stuff, and maybe, like, a knife, and, like, because you might get attacked by a bear, and we are going to be packed differently. Why? Because we're going different places. We're going different places. It would be ridiculous for us to open up our bags and go, hey, we have the same things packed because we're going to the same place. Same thing is true for a Christian and a non-Christian. It is a ridiculous argument for you to say, I, I do the same things, I participate in the same areas, I talk the same way, then the message is you're probably going to the same place. Because if you're planning on spending eternity with God in heaven and you know that every word you're going to be account, every, listen, Every word you speak, you're going to be held accountable for. Think about that. Every action that you take, everything is being watched. There's a, the Bible says there's an army of witnesses cheering us on saying, you can do it. You can do it. You can keep going. And the whole time your life looks exactly like everybody else, the truth is you're probably going to the exact same place. See, when you begin to make excuses in your life, here's what I know. That taking responsibility in your life for the actions you take is the first step towards repentance, right? Like that's the first, when, you, when you're in the presence of God and you say, I can't believe that I did that. God, I'm so sorry. There's no, there's no justification. The more that I'm in your presence, the more conviction that I feel, 
the more I realize that my words are not pleasing to you, the, the more I realize that my actions are not pleasing to you. And the first step towards repentance is responsibility. God, I'm, I feel so bad. That's how you know, by the way, you have a growing relationship with God. And so if that's the truth, then, then making excuses is the first step towards rebellion. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I did it, but everybody else does that too. Everybody else. Everybody else talks like that. Everybody else asks that. So excuses is one that I know gives the devil a foothold on your love handle. All right, number two, hunger. Hunger. Isn't it true that you are what you eat? Like, like I know we try to act like it's not. Like for years, in between 30 and, and 37, like what I'm going to be right now, I'd be like, you know, my body's just changing. I go to the gym and I exercise. And when I exercise, I, I, I use that word liberally, right? Like, I go to the gym a couple, and, then, and but I listen, but but I don't I don't get in shape. I don't lose no weight. And and then if I would go back and look, it'd be like, well, yeah, but you had a coffee with double cream, double sugar. You might have di- dipped a sour cream donut in there for for, and then you you might be addicted to bread. And maybe you go into that bucket all day long, every day, and get candy out of that bucket. Thank you very much for all the candy you brought for greet and treat. And then you get on a scale at nighttime, you'd be like, oh, I'm just so frustrated with myself. But if you were to take a little bit of, of a of write down in the tablet all the things you ate, it's like, no, dummy, you are. What you eat, you might get bulk in the gym, but you get cut in the kitchen. <laughs> if you want to lose weight, you got to watch what you, what you eat. You can't go around going, oh, well, I, I just, my body just, it just doesn't want to lose weight. That's not true. You and me, we just don't want to stop eating, right? Why? Why? Because we love junk food. That's the way it is. We are addicted to junk food. And here's a spiritual, here's a spiritual analogy for you. When, when you're hungry for the wrong things, you'll fill your life up on the wrong things. And so many of you, the hunger that you have, the, the thing that you feed yourself is allowing Satan to put a foothold into your life. The things that you're allowing your ears to listen to, it's a, it's a great old song. It would, go, it would go, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Remember that song? Your mom sang it to you. She should have. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little... That's the only part I know. And then it will go to the next part. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Why? Because the Bible says that what you look at, what you think about is what you become. So we used to teach kids, and we, we probably should teach our Americans this. When, when garbage is put into your life, garbage comes out of your life. Spiritually, physically, mentally, whatever it is. When, when garbage is put into your life, garbage comes out of your life. And so many of you, if I was to ask you, you know, what are you feeding your life? What are you feeding your spiritual life? What, what, what are you putting into your spiritual walk with Christ? Are you reading God's word? Are, are you praying? Are you fasting? You know, uh, or not, not, for, not to lose weight at the end of the year, but are you spiritually fasting because you're just desperate for the presence of God? And some of you will even say stuff like this well you know what I do those things they're just boring this is like the parent who tries to feed their kid healthy food and they'll go stuff like this my kids just picky no your kids just beat you that's what happened at some point in your life your kid was in a high chair they could barely move they were not stronger than you and you took out that diarrhea in a jar we call it peas you took it out and you were like, here it comes, right? And you put it in their mouth, and every kid, what they do? They don't want that garbage. And so you're like, oh, my baby's going to starve. You don't know they're playing you. Babies will play you from the moment they come out. My baby's going to starve. And so you're like, you know, maybe they're just picky. So you get the bananas out, right? 
and you feed them, they're like, they're like, oh, I love bananas. And then you just keep going oatmeal, and then it's chocolate bars and all this stuff. And then they get older, and you try to put green stuff for them, and they've known that if they just act like they're going to die, that you won't feed them that. And so then you'll make a whole separate dinner for them where you got to feed them French fries and chicken nuggets. That's what parents do. Come on, somebody needs to talk some sense into parents. And they feed them that stuff, and you go, they're just picky. No, they're not. They just beat you. They just beat you. Some of you, you think, man, I'm just, I'm just spiritually picky. It's just not feeding me. It's not, it's not helping me grow. It's just so boring. No, 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 no. You just have taught your body to be addicted to junk food. When you're addicted to junk food, it will tell you, you can't eat that. That's gross. That's not going to fill you up. That's not going to fulfill you. If, if you don't believe me, just stop trying to eat something that's unhealthy for a week if you are an unhealthy eater like me. Your body will torture you. What are you doing to me right now? How am I going to live without this? Because you've taught your body. You need junk. Same thing for so many of you. Stop listening to that music. Stop watching that show. Stop following. Stop putting Netflix on and just dumping crap into your mind. Stop filling your head with horror movies because you're not going to be able to sleep tomorrow. Stop doing all those things and fill your head with the things of God and watch him change your life. Instead, you're giving the devil a foothold. And you convince yourself, it's just boring. No, no, no. You're just addicted to junk food. And so the only way to teach your body not to be addicted to junk food is to detox yourself physically, mentally, and spiritually. To fight against it knowing that junk food always fills me up for a moment. Things of this world will always fill me up for a moment, but the word of God will fulfill me forever. That's what it says in Scripture. Check it out, 1 Peter 2. It says, therefore, rid yourselves. That, that's, 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 a, that's a Bible word for detox. Detox yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Well, I don't think about those things. Yes, you do. Every song you listen to is about that. Every song. Every book you read is typically about that. Every show you watch is about that. Hypocrisy and envy. Oh, I want that. I want that. I want that. Listen to this thing. Give me, give me, give me. It's Satan having a foothold in your life. And then watch what it says. It says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Here's what you need to understand. Growing old is, is not an option. Growing up is. Can I say that to you again? Because some of y'all, you, that, that just hit with you. You're old, but you're not mature. You've been coming to church for years, but you've never grown up. You feed yourself with junk all the time, and so you're unhealthy. And the Bible says, feed yourself with pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up. And then the Bible says this, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Isn't the Lord, for those of you who taste and see, the Bible says that the Lord He's good. He fulfills forever. Another one is this that I think is so important is time. And really specifically, really specifically this. The, the time between when God asks you to obey and when you obey is where compromise comes in. Are you with me? There's a time where you'll come to church. That's why I'm a firm believer in striking while the iron's hot. If you hear something in church, uh, let's say you're, you're dating somebody you shouldn't be dating, and, and the pastor stands up and says, hey, man, you're not dating a Christian. It's not going to go well. And he says, you should break up. The time between when you hear it and when you actually do it is when compromise comes in. It's when Satan will come in because the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. In other words, the picture that it paints just really practically is he's a great, great, great lawyer that can argue the right and wrong from you anytime he wants, if you allow him. He can convince you not to do what God's calling you to do. He can, he can argue you out of obeying God. And the truth is, is your, your, your purposes of God, the plans of God's life is directly connected to your obedience. That's it. I can't change you till you obey him. Right? Like I always tell people, man, stop leaving your life up to chance. Like the kid that never studies but goes to the test and hopes that there's a curve. That's dumb. 
I did that for my whole year in college. I barely passed. It won't let me back in to get my master's. Just don't study and leave it up to chance. Years ago, I stopped leaving my life up to chance, and I just started obeying whatever God asked me. You ask me to do it, I'll do it. I'm not going to give the devil any time in my mind to convince me otherwise. So you hear the preacher say, hey, it's time to give. It's time to, it's time to serve. And then you're thinking about it in the middle. Satan's going, you don't have time. You can't do this. You don't have any talent. That's compromise. That's where compromise happens. So many of you, you've allowed compromise to get into your life because you've allowed time for Satan to argue your way out, argue his way out of you doing what God's calling you to do. And the, and the problem with that is the, is the more that you dis- disobey God, the worse your life will get. The more that you disobey God, the worse that the disobedience in your life is allowing Satan to grab a hold of your life and take from you what you don't want to give. I'll give you an example. We went to a, a Royersford parade, the, the Halloween parade on Monday. I know we're from Phoenixville, but the Phoenixville parade sucks, and so we go to Royersford. Just to be honest with you. They put, a, they put a Halloween parade in the middle of the day. It's not even dark. It's Halloween. No candy. We went a couple years ago. There's no candy. I'm like, this parade's awful. So we go to Royersford. We call up John and Aaron. They go to Roy- They live in Royersford. So I'm like, well, can we just come and mooch off your parade? And so we come. Plenty of candy for everybody. And they get, I mean, if you don't, listen, bags and bags. The only other parade that's better than the Royersford parade is the Boyertown parade. And that's the only time I'll ever say anything is better in Boyertown. <laughs> Sorry if you live there, right? But these parades are good. All this, I mean, bags and bags and bags. Of this huge bag of candy. They take it home. We dump it into Ziploc bags. Of course, they want to try a couple pieces. And then my son because he's evil, right, and conniving, he brings his candy up to his room as if that's going to be acceptable. Yeah, that's where I want you to keep it. So I come up his bag of candy. He was sitting in his room like he's going to keep it there, and, and he's going to use, you know, good, mature mental thinking and how much candy that he's able to eat every day. Now, the whole bag's going to be gone. So I tell him, listen, before you go to bed, go down and put that candy away in the refrigerator so that, so that we have it. And, and I will allow you to have candy, you know, in spurts. I don't want you to eat too much. I want to control treat, but go down and put it in the, in the bag. And so I, 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 he, I, he just goes downstairs. I, I didn't watch him because I just assumed he would obey me, right? Dumb. So we, we, we have this, this thing in our house now where we put the two boys, they share, they share one room, and then Harrison has his own room. And Harrison has a bad habit of getting up over and over and over again. He's my third child. He takes forever to go to sleep. And so the next morning I wake up and I come upstairs and Harrison has wrappers all over the floor, all over the floor. And I'm like, where did you get this candy? You know, and he, you know how you ever kids get, when kids get caught doing something, they act like they can't talk. Like they just forgot to talk. So he's pointing and I walk down the steps and my son Carter, instead of taking his bag and put it in the safe refrigerator, he just put it at the bottom of the steps. You know what happened when Harrison woke up? Woke up, kind of wandered around. He saw a gold pot of, of candy, and he started, I mean, paper all over the place. And Carter, what are you doing eating my candy? And what I said is, you didn't put it away. The time between, you know, when your dad tells you to do it and when you actually do it, that's where compromise happens. And when you compromise, Satan's able to take things from you that you don't want to give away, like your candy. Time, and the last one is this. I think this one's really important, is, is Space. Space. I wrote this in my notes. Show me a person who is not living in close, close fellowship with God. And I'll show you a person who is on the verge of a way bigger problem. Let me explain to you how it happens for people at church. Here's how it happens. Usually you come 
And, and, and the people that I've seen grow the most at church were the people that come and they're not like jumping right into church. They're warming up the church. So you come and then, and then you, maybe you, you come faithfully and then maybe you serve. Like that's a big step, serving, but it's the best step you could take. And then you serve and then you become a part of God's house and you're growing. There's only one way to go in God's house, just so you know. It's like Target. I've heard there's only one way to go at Target. You just keep going up the ladder. You can't come back. There's no going back. That's how it is with God. People will come in and they'll be going, going, going. You see them every week at church. They're serving. They're growing. And then all of a sudden, Satan begins to to groom them. Throws things their way. We're going to talk about one next week, relationships. We're going to talk about another in a couple weeks, money. We're going to talk about one in a few weeks. It just got really hard. It was much harder than I thought it was going to be to serve God. More was taken from me than I knew was going to be taken from me. It, It was really difficult. So Satan begins to draw them away and want to put space in their life. That's where he's grabbing a hold. He's getting in the middle and all of a sudden you get a call from them. Hey, uh, I'm not going to be able to come as much. I got, a, I got a new job. I got a different job. I got another opportunity. And all of a sudden they're not coming as much. And, and what I've seen happen in people's lives is once they stop going this way quickly, it's like a slope. It's not steps. It's like a slope and they just stop seeing them as, mu- as much at church. Stop hearing from them much, as much. Stop seeing them be fa- as faithful with their money. Stop seeing all those things. And before you know it, those people are gone. And I've seen it over and over and over again. Sometimes when I was a younger pastor, I would be angry at them. I don't care if you leave. That's what you get for leaving. Right? That's what an immature pastor does. Until one day, because my wife is much more mature than me. You know that if you're married. She said, we shouldn't feel bad or angry with them. We should feel broken over them. And that's how I feel now. When I, when, I, when I look at all the people that have been through our church over the last seven year, 11 years, and I've watched them grow, 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 and then all of a sudden something happens here. And it's not, it's not a slippery slope. It's just one step. And it's one more justification. It's another excuse. Just a little bit of time. And I start seeing them feed their souls with things they shouldn't feed their soul with. And all of a sudden there's space there. And they've given the devil a foothold. And he will take more from them than they could ever dream possible. And then scripture says in Hebrews, and this is what breaks my heart the most, that no matter how much I want them back, no matter how much I plead with them, no matter how much I cry over them, maybe just maybe when they get to that point that their heart is too hardened. I don't want that for you. You're not the exception to the rule, friend. You're not going to turn out different. You need to figure out where Satan's got a hold of your life and you need to get him off. You need to repent. You need to take responsibility. You need to be real with your life. Maybe you need to quit the job that you took. You need to break up with the boyfriend or girlfriend that you shouldn't be dating. You need to get rid of everything in your life that's pulling you away from God and you need to grab a hold of him and hold on tight and say, Satan, get thee behind me. What does scripture say? That you have authority, that he's under your foot. Isn't it ironic that it'll say then that, that but maybe... If you're not careful, even though you have authority over him through the power of the cross, that he's under your feet, that if you're not careful, that he can still get a foothold in your life. That if you're not aware, don't be afraid of him. Be aware of him. Would you stand up with me all over this house? Would you bow your heads? And would you close your eyes? Friend, friend, I'm scared for many of you. It's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. Some of you have things in your life. There's husbands, you're, you're the next one on the list. You're the next husband to leave your wife and kids. You compromise. There's wives, maybe you're thinking about having that affair. You're having conversations you shouldn't be having in places you shouldn't be. 
There's an addict listening to my voice that you're being tempted to go back and take the thing that you took, drink the thing that you were drinking. Hang out with the people that you were hanging out with before. Don't do it. Satan wanted to get you back. You need to understand something. He hates you more than you could ever imagine. He's disgusted with where you're at. And he's on the prowl. And I don't want you to be afraid of him, but I want you to be aware of him. Grab a hold of God. Get rid of everything that's not of him, that's not pleasing to him. Don't lie to yourself. Why? Because it's that lie that brings darkness. And in the darkness, Satan has his way. But the Bible says he's under your feet, friend. He's under your feet through the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to destroy you. He doesn't need to have a room in your life. He doesn't need to have a grip of your life. But you can't play. You can't play. It's going to take more from you than you ever wanted to give. I'm not sure what you're struggling with. But this is for the believer in this house. This is for the believer. Now that you're here, he wants you back. He wants you back. You're in church the last couple weeks. He wants you back. You're growing in your faith. He wants you back. You've been walking out the things of God. He wants you back. He hates you. As much as God loves you, he hates you. I don't want you to hear the, the pain in my voice. Man, I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I'm brokenhearted for you. I don't want to see one more person walk away from the things of God, from the plans of God. There is no exceptions. There's no exceptions. It always ends in destruction. And so maybe you're in this place right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I'm going to ask you to close your eyes all over this house. Just as a sign of honoring this time. Maybe you're not a believer, but you just close your eyes. And if maybe if you're a believer in this house and you say, you know what, there's a conversation I need to have. There's light I need to let into my darkness. There's a habit I need to break. There's accountability I need to receive. And there's the step I need to make. Why? Because I can feel Satan grabbing me back into in my old way of life. I can feel him causing me to compromise. I can feel him grooming me. Maybe that's you in this place and you say, you know what, I need to pray right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But maybe just as a sign of surrender, you would just begin to pray, hey, Holy Spirit, I, I take responsibility for where I'm at. There's no excuses. Don't justify well, I've been talking to this person because my spouse hasn't been fulfilling me. Listen, the only person who fully fulfills you is Jesus Christ. And in him, when you're completed in him, you have no excuse for sin to rule and reign in your life. You have no excuse to go back to an addiction. There's no excuse. You have authority and power. The Bible says no weapon formed against you. You don't think that's a weapon? Shall prosper if you don't decide to let it to prosper. You have authority over it. Don't give the devil a foothold by justifying it, by making an excuse. Don't do it. They'll take from you. And you just begin to pray. And as you begin to pray, your next step is going to begin to talk to somebody. After you talk to God, get accountability. Talk to a spouse. Talk to somebody. Let it out in the open. Bring light into your situation. And if you're here right now and you don't have a relationship with God, I need you to understand that when I, when I talk about Satan, maybe you don't fully believe in him, but I need you to understand just because you don't believe something's real doesn't mean it's not affecting you doesn't mean it's not real. Friend, there's, there's a spiritual battle going on for your soul. And you're not here by accident. You're not. God knew exactly what seat you were going to sit in. The Bible says he's been thinking about you since you were born. That he formed you in your mother's womb. That he's put the beats in your chest. That he has a big plan for your life. And that no matter what you've done up to this point, no matter what's true of you, no matter how dark it is, that there's there's still freedom and forgiveness and grace for you. 
There's a God that loves you, friend. And for as much as Satan hates you and wants to pull you away, there's a God that has, that has a love for you that's conquered the hate of Satan. The Bible says that his son died on the cross for your sins 2,000 years ago. And your first step towards a relationship with God is through his son, Jesus. That when he died, that what he was doing is he was dying for my sins and your sins. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner. You're broken and I'm broken. You're hopeless and I'm hopeless. The only difference between me and you is at some point in my life, when I was 18 years old, I can remember the day, on the steps of the Hershey Arena, I stood before the power of the cross, and I bent my knee, and I bent my will, and I gave him my past, and I gave him my future, and he accepted me as a broken sinner, and he has never left me the same. The Bible says he will never turn his back on me, and I have trusted him all the days of my life, and I have seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle. I know how much he loves me. It's not always easy. There's been times that I've needed to rely on his strength, but he has never, ever walked away from me. That's what the Bible says that his love is is about, that it will never leave you. It's here for you right now. So the question becomes, well, what do you do with that? Well, the Bible says uh, if you stand in the presence of a holy God and you realize that you're a sinner, the way that you accept, accept him is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. The Bible says on the third day he rose from the dead. I believe that he did that. I'm going to confess with my mouth and I'm going to believe in my heart. The Bible says that in that moment that you will be saved, that your sins past, present, and future will be forgiven, that your future will be secure, that you can leave this place trusting him that was true of you. When you walked in here, it was no longer true of you, that he has the power and authority to break off every addiction, every amount of baggage, every stronghold in your life. He has the authority to break the chains of bitterness, resentment, and anger, and you can leave this place, the Bible says, a free person. But you make that decision. You make that decision. If you're at our houses right now, quickly, and you say, you know what? Today is my day. Today is my day. I'm not here by accident. I'm not here by accident. I can feel the love of God. The Bible says that he knocks at the door of your heart. If you would open up your life, he would come on in. You say, you know what? Today I'm going to open up my life to him. I'm going to pray with you as we close. I'm going to ask you to do something really bold here in a second. I'm not going to make you pray. I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm not going to point you out. I just want to know that I'm praying with you. And as we pray at the end, Maybe you've never prayed before. It's not about eloquence. He doesn't care about that. It's about the position of your heart. And when you raise your hand, you're just simply saying, hey, hey God, I need a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. That's what I need right now. I'm desperate for him. If that's you in this place at other camps, did you say, you know what? Today's my day. Today's going to be the day that I'm going to put my faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. Would you simply just put your hand up with nobody looking around, church? Would you just pray for them? Would you just simply put your hand up in the air and say, you know what? Today's going to be my day. I'm going to take that bold step. I know it's bold. I know it's scary. I know it can be intimidating. Trust me, everybody in this room that has a relationship with Jesus at one point has come to this spot. Today, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm not letting Satan take any more from me. If you're at Limerick, if you're at Plymouth Meeting, you say, you know what? Today, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else who say, Pastor, that's me? Today, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all in for Christ. I'm not playing games. This isn't a religious thing. I simply am tired of being who I am and walking the way that I walk. I'm simply tired of dealing with what I deal with. Today I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. There's somebody in Limerick we're, we're clapping about right now. Yes, yes, yes. Let's pray all over these houses. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for those that raised their hand. Thank you for those that didn't. Thank you for your presence, Lord. The Bible says when we preach your word, that it never returns void, that it sets out and accomplishes what it set out to accomplish. 
And Lord, right now you have gotten into the hearts of those that are broken and you are healing them, you are mending them, and you are making them whole. Jesus, they're putting their faith, their hope, and their trust in you, Lord. And Lord, we believe that as they accept your gift of salvation, that their sins are forgiven, they're paid for in full, and that when you rose from the dead, that you defeated hell, and now that they claim the name of Jesus, that when they die, when they take their last breath here, the Bible promises that their next breath will be with you, but they're not getting to heaven because they're going to be better people. No, no, no. They're getting to heaven because they're saved people. Their life is going to change because they begin to trust you. When they begin to trust you, they begin to obey you. Why? Because you're a good God and you have a good plan for their life. And Lord, as we celebrate with heaven, Lord, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, when they leave this place, the devil's going to try to convince them. It's not not them. They're not going to go that far. It's not going to be that bad. Lord, he's a liar. The Bible says that the only thing that he can speak is lies. Let this be the the church. Let this be the Sunday where this sinks in. Let this be the Sunday where, where... the affair that was going to happen is stopped. Let, let this be the Sunday where, where the addict that was going to take one more, one more hit, where, where it stopped. Let, let this be the Sunday where, where that person who was stealing and lying, where, where, where it stops, Lord, before it destroys them. Let this be the church that doesn't justify our actions. Let this be the church that stays close to you. Let this be a church full of people that are quickly obeying your, your word. Let us be a church that wants to stick close to your presence, Lord. We want all that you have for us. We believe you're a good God, and we want everything that you predestined and preordained for our lives to be. Jesus, thank you for your good plan. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your word. And it's opened up our spiritual eyes. Lord, give us ears to hear today and give us hands that apply your word. That's where the power of your word comes from, application. In Jesus' name we pray. All over our houses, would you shout amen with me? Come on, last week, say amen. Let's clap together.